Well, good morning again. Uh, it's good to be here. I had a very common conversation this last week, and I kept saying to people, it's cold. I don't know if you've noticed that, but the response that I keep getting is, it's Iowa. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I always liken cold to like Alaska further north, but apparently Iowa is just very cold. Nebraska was cold, but it it's just colder here. I don't know. I need to wear a, wear a hat. Um, well, you can turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. And before we completely get started with that, um, today we're going to be talking about the gospel. And that's really uh, one of the arguments that's taking place in the book of Galatians, is about the good news of Jesus Christ and the way that that gospel can be tainted. And so, uh, to open up, I just wanted to share kind of an illustration about really time and investment. This one, I don't know how much it applies so much, but one day there's a CEO of a company. He pulls into the parking lot of the factory in a brand new car. I mean, a luxury car, a nice car. And he gets out, and as he's walking into the building, one of his managers is there. And this manager comes up to him and he says, oh, I see you got a new car. And he goes, yeah, this thing is amazing. It's just so nice. He goes, it's fast, it's comfortable, and it's good looking. And the manager's kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, great, thanks. And the, the CEO says to him, he goes, you know, if you work really, really hard and you're willing to put in extra time, over the next year, you increase your sales and all that. Probably this time next year, I'll be able to buy another one just like it. <laughs> That's not very nice. <laughs> um, he was definitely putting in the effort. One of the things that kind of reminded me of that story is that um, all of us probably have something that we work very hard at. And one of those things that I think is a day-in and day-out um, project for, for me is being a parent. And there's a lot of parents here that can relate to this. Um, but as maybe this happens as your kids get older with teenagers. But as you are trying to teach your kids and instruct them in something, um, as they're little and they're learning to do something, it's so funny because you will tell them over and show them over and over again how to do something. And it's almost frustrating because sometimes they just don't get it. And I can remember one time I was work. I cannot remember which, which child of mine this was. Um, but I spent a lot of time going through the mechanics of, I think, throwing a ball. And so, okay, this is how you want to do it. And so we spent all this time. I th I'm pretty sure it was Lily now that I'm remembering the story teaching her how to, you know, point her foot and th follow through with her arm and, and make sure that she brings her arm back and straight over. And, and so just working really hard. And I probably worked for a good 20 to 30 minutes with her, trying to get her to throw a baseball straight or a softball straight. And I remember <laughs> after all that time invested, um, she didn't get any better. And I felt like maybe I wasn't a very good teacher at that point in time. And so I just kind of gave up. But I think that that's a lot of times 
um, you know, kind of how life is, is that we might invest a lot of our time and energy into something, and we don't maybe get the response that we that we were hoping for. But I think one of the harder things that we might do or participate in is when we invest our time in someone or something, and it seems like it's well accepted and that it's going really good, and then all of a sudden things change. And all that time and effort that you put into something gets completely abandoned or discredited or ignored. And, and that's kind of heartbreaking. When it comes to ministry, I was a youth minister for a lot of years. And one of the hard things is that as you would meet one-on-one with students who a lot of times come to you because they're going through some sort of life issue that's struggle, that's hard, and they need answers, and they need help. And so I'm willing to meet with them. I say, you know what? I'd love to meet with you. We'll spend time in God's Word because that's truly where the hope is found, is in Jesus Christ. I said, you know, we'll spend some time in God's Word, and we'll be praying, and, and uh, I know that this is going to work out good. But I think the hard part is the challenge of you know, taking a step of faith and trusting and doing what God's Word says. There's one guy that I'd meet with, and we met for several months, even, I think, um, up to the point of this happening in our story, probably almost a year. We had been meeting very regularly. And I felt like things were progressing, that things were going well. And I think that he even saw uh, that to be obedient to God uh, was definitely a place that was uh, one of joy and peace in his life. But I can remember our meetings started to kind of taper off. And he wouldn't be there every week. And pretty soon it was every couple weeks. And pretty soon I had to make a phone call and say, uh, I'm just calling to check on you. Are you are you okay? Nothing happened, did it? No, no, I've just been busy. Well, come to find out, he had been making a lot of life choices that were not honoring to the Lord. And he knew it, and so he was avoiding me. And that was heartbreaking for me because it's like we spent all this time and we invested all this time and then you just go and you turn your back on the things that God was doing. And that's sometimes hard for us to to accept. Um, But the good news is that we don't have to just write somebody off like that. Is that God is the God of restoration. And that even though... Our struggle might be that we invested all that time in somebody um, for them to only kind of walk away from the truth of what God was showing them. That can be frustrating on a fleshly level and maybe a spiritual level as well. But to know that God's grace is sufficient and that there's still hope uh, for that individual. I think Paul was dealing with this type of situation in Galatians with the Galatian believers. After he spent his time ministering to them, where he, I think, labored over sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to these people who had been uh, struggling with, with this, you know, keeping the law and, and now salvation is for 
everybody, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And so he labored to make sure that they understood the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came to bring hope to a sinful world. Only to find out that there were other guys coming in and tainting that gospel message. But I think the harder thing for him to maybe swallow was that those who had heard and listened and who had trusted in this good news message were also starting to follow and to listen to these other teachers. So that's where we are in Galatians today. And uh, we're going to we're going to read through those passages. But would you pray with me before we do that? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you loved us. Lord, that you have shown us such an amazing gift through your Son, a grace gift. And Lord, I thank you that salvation is not something that is uh, by our merits, by what we do that we can earn. Because, God, I know that we would all fall short of that. But I thank you that we have hope because of Christ. And so I thank you for showing us grace. Lord, I pray that we would hold on to the reality of that grace, that we would walk in the truth of that grace, and that we wouldn't be hindered by the doubt and fear and insecurity um, as we might struggle uh, in this life. So, Lord, I, th- I pray that you would use uh, your word to teach us, and that uh, we give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Galatians. I told everybody else to turn there, but I, I didn't go there. Uh, oh, it did work. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ, for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Those are the verses that we're going to look at this morning. And Galatians is an interesting book because it opens up and it's really to the point and serious. It's one letter that Paul writes where he is not really commending the believers. He he addresses, and we talked about this last week a little bit, about how there were these, these Judaizers who were going around and basically teaching that it was grace plus works. It was that Jesus came and he shed his blood on the cross and that you can place your faith in him, but it wasn't necessarily complete there. They're saying that you also needed to go and, and for the men it was to be circumcised, to, to go and do this Jewish custom uh, to be obedient to the law. But the problem with that is that later on, as they discuss this kind of at the, uh, this big council of, of leadership in the church, the discussion basically is this, is that if you're going to do one thing, then you're bound by the entire law. You can't just pick and choose. If you have to keep the law in order to be saved as well as 
Jesus, then you got to do it all. And so really that is what uh, Paul is addressing. And so today we're going to look at kind of three things. And the first is the authentic gospel that's rejected, a counterfeit gospel that's accepted, and lastly, an apostle's clear directive. I was telling the guys that I was trying to put my slides together, and I don't know if you guys ever have computer problems. Anybody ever experienced that slow computer? I know it's only a matter of seconds, like probably 30 to 40 seconds, but that seems like an eternity when you're trying to get something done on your computer. And so I don't have a ton of slides this morning um, to go along with that just because of that. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am this, in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. I think it's interesting that when we talk about the gospel, this is something that is of great value and importance that we need to be reminded about the gospel. It's something that's worth talking about, and I can't, um, you know, I can't get over the fact that as we are walking with the Lord, a lot of times when we have struggle and doubt in life, it's because we lose sight of really the reality of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Paul was uh, continually preached the gospel and bring good news, the good news into focus. And so, the first, uh, the first verse that we're looking at is verse six, and I'm going to read this out of another passage. It says, or translation, it says, "I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to Himself through the loving mercy of Christ." So Paul, when he is addressing these Galatian believers, is basically saying that I am amazed, I'm, I'm shocked, I can't believe it. And the word that he uses here, it means to be astounded or bewildered. Now, those of you who have had teenagers or have teenagers, uh, maybe you've had this similar um, experience with one of your kids, or maybe you've had this experience with somebody else, but you just can't believe that they would do something like that. Or you can't believe that, that something like this would take place. Paul couldn't fathom how they could so quickly be deserting God. You know, it wasn't like he was there a long time ago. He couldn't believe that, that they were already being open to these other influences. Uh, these believers were deserting the faith. The term used here is one that is likened to military desertion during a time of war. I kind of wondered about that, and you know, in this uh, life in the world in which we live, there is a battle that is being waged, and it's not of flesh and blood, but it's at a much deeper level. And so when the the going gets tough, you know, are we going to be deserting the faith? And you see, the devil wants us to be deceived and to believe that there is something better out there. 
And so we might be open to listening to false teachers and people who bring a message that might contain a little bit of this message of who Jesus is, but yet it adds to it, or maybe it takes away from it just a little bit. And so therefore it's tainted. And so people buy into that. They follow it. And by doing so, they're deserting the true faith that salvation is by grace and grace alone. Uh, These believers were actively being removed. They weren't in the process of removing, or they were in the process of removing themselves from the sphere of grace. And, And I think that sometimes we like to blame others for our faults. And so we need to make sure that we're, we're diligent. Uh, when people are presenting a message, does it line up with God's Word? Are they adding to or are they taking away? The beauty of the Gospel is that it's good news. Um, it is for all people. And if we had to earn it, if we had to do something to gain it, then it really wouldn't be that great of news. Because we would probably fall short in some arena to be able to earn it. A couple of verses, and you guys can flip around in your Bibles with me if you want to. The first one is Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. And basically, this is the good news of the gospel, is that salvation is based upon Christ and what He has done for you. Never is it based upon what you do for Him or who you are. It is His work on the cross. Acts chapter 13, verse 38 and 39. It says, Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man Jesus there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in Him is declared right before with God, something the law of Moses could never do. Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 6 through 11. It says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. What an awesome message. That is good news for anyone. Is that we are sinners, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think it's interesting is that a lot of times people feel like they have to clean up their act before they can come to to Christ. But it's no. It's that Christ came for you while you were a sinner. And He wants to do a work in you and to deal with the sin, and to grow you through that. 
But sometimes the struggle comes because we lose sight of the fact that it's what Christ did for me. And instead we put on the focus of, you know, what am I doing? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The way to be made right with God is through Christ. It's not by any works that we can do, but it is through Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. And then if you jump over to chapter 3 verse 18. It says that Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. Something that we get to look forward to is Easter is not too terribly far away. Is that not only did Jesus die on the cross, that he was buried, but three days later God rose him from the dead, raised him from the dead. And that is awesome is that he is alive. And there's many, many more verses that we can cover talking about what Christ has done for sinners, for us. And that's a hopeful thing. That is grace. It's that we don't earn salvation. It's not by anything that we do, but it's simply by what Christ has done for us. Rearrange my notes here a little bit too much. Okay. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. I think that this verse is so cool because it gives a very clear Direction. It says that uh, it's by grace, through faith, and it's not about us doing anything to gain that. It's a gift of God. How many of you have ever received a gift? I'm guessing there's probably quite a few of you. <clears throat> One of the actions that takes place with the gift is that there is a gift giver, there's a gift receiver, but there's a process that takes place is that this gift is set aside and it is offered, but something has to be done. And that one thing that has to be done is what? You have to receive it. You got to take it. And it's yours. Now, I don't know, maybe maybe some of your parents did this, but at Christmas, we're exchanging gifts. It's not, here's your gift. You open it, you're like, oh, this is great. It's just what I wanted. And then the gift giver says, that's yours. But here's all the list of stipulations that you have to do. Like, you know, you've got to clean your room for the rest of the year. You've got to vacuum, dust. That's my favorite thing is dusting. Um, would that really be a gift? No. Now what it's become is basically something you're in obligation to. 
And it's more of a wage than it is a gift. But this is the free gift of God. And it's not by works, because what, what happens when people do really good things? They boast about it, right? Look how great I am. Um, it's not a result of works, so that nobody boasts. It's so that we can boast in what God has done for us. But the other part of this verse that I like is that it gives us purpose. It says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Uh, those good works are a result of the grace that God has shown us. Romans 11.6 I missed this slide? No? Okay. Uh, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I had a teacher in Bible school, and his, uh, his saying, he was very, he taught all the evangelism classes and everything like that, uh, but he was very committed to uh, the purity of the gospel in the sense that it's, it really is uh, by grace alone. And we have to be careful that we don't add to it. Uh, it's what Christ has done on our behalf. But basically, this is his biblical formula uh, for that. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I love this. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Um, that is the simplicity of the gospel. So the Galatians were having this issue... Um, with basically rejecting the true gospel that was preached to them and listening to these other leaders who are presenting a counterfeit uh, gospel. We move on to, to the next verse of Galatians. Let me flip back there. Galatians chapter 1, verse 7. <clears throat> well, part of verse 6. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. I think this is a neat argument. He's basically saying this is really not another gospel. Even though you're saying, like, people are saying this is the gospel. The reality is, this is not the gospel. Because the gospel, the only true gospel, is the grace, that salvation is by grace. <clears throat> but anything else is not even another gospel. It's some completely other teaching. This message was disturbing to the church. The word here uh, means to shake back and forth to agitate and to stir up. When somebody comes in and they bring a different message that isn't the truth of God's Word, when they bring that in, what it does is it, it shakes the church up. 
It kind of rattles it. And it really, I think, is meant for the purpose of doing that. It's agitating. When the gospel is perverted, the church is unsettled. And a lot of times that's because it's emotional. The grace of God is such a, a powerful thing. And I know that I was saved when I was young, when I came to the, the saving uh, faith in Christ. But um, I just remember the freedom that I experienced and the hope that came because of that. And so our relationship with the Lord is emotional. In Matthew 2, verse 3, the same type of word about uh, being disturbed was used when Herod, when he heard about the birth of the king of the Jews. It was unsettling. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 26, in regards to the disciples, when they saw Jesus walking on the water, that would be a little bit like, what is going on? In Luke chapter 1, verse 12, Zacharias, when he saw the angel of the Lord, and then Jesus also used it in John 14, verse 1, when he says, let not your heart be troubled. A different message uh, is disturbing to the church. And that's exactly what false teachers do, is that they bring in a message that disrupts the church, the body of Christ. It distorts the gospel of grace. <clears throat> it's basically the idea of turning something into its opposite or reversing it. When we add anything to salvation by grace, it distorts the truth, and grace is no longer grace. I think that that's the big reality, is that oftentimes there's lots of these popular preachers, and, and they gain, I think, national attention, you know, because they have some great brand new thing. Um, there's always trends that go throughout history, and every year there's something new. And a lot of times it's a book that comes out um, with some, you know, the mystery of the Bible. And so people buy into that because we are so uh, works-minded. You know, we like to accomplish things, and we like to see uh, our progress and so we're, we buy into that very quickly, and we just have to be on guard. We have to be careful. Um, because not all of those things are true. And not all of those writers are dedicated to making sure that God's Word is not taken away from or added to, but that it's presented for what it is. And I think that's the beauty of grace, is that it's not some great mystery. Um, that mystery has been revealed through Christ. In Acts chapter 13, you can turn there if you'd like, verses 7 through 10, it just talks about uh, some false teachers. So there's this guy, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing him, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. I bet this is one intense stare down. I couldn't imagine what this looked like. 
Instead, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? He calls them out. False teachers are deceitful. They're children of the devil. They're enemies of righteousness. And they're perverters of the gospel. There's a lot of people who come out with a clear different message than what the gospel is. But the thing that we have to be careful of and be on guard for is those who basically start off and say, you know, I believe in Jesus and I believe that he died on the cross. And oftentimes they get in very easily, but then the message kind of gets added to or changed. And so we have to make sure that we're on guard, that we, uh, you know, use discernment to listen to those teachers. One of the things that I experienced, and I, I'm sorry if I've told this story here before. I don't think I have. Um, but I've shared with you, I, I went to Uganda several years ago on a missions trip, and we had the opportunity to go uh, to some really remote places of Uganda to share the gospel. And people were very open and receptive to the gospel because uh, they were looking for something to bring them hope and peace. And that's exactly what the good news was to them. But there's also, this, the soil is very fertile as far as uh, people in their spiritual lives is concerned. And, and so there's a lot of false teachers that come in and take advantage of that. Uh, Uganda is very poor for the most part. And one such person came in and he was a pastor. And so he proclaimed the good news of Jesus but then he also went and he told those who had been converted, who had placed their faith in Christ, he said, now you need to go and sell everything and give everything that you have owned, you need to give it to the church. And he said, the time is coming that Jesus, the Lord is going to return. Uh, we need to be prepared. And so people started doing that. They sold all their possessions and they gave all the money to this guy who really wasn't investing it in their church, but was going out and spending it on himself. And it started to grow because people saw, you know, wow, that person's willing to sell everything they have. This must be something that's, that I should be thinking about. And so this church grew, and pretty soon they had about 200 people that, that were a part of this church that had sold everything and given it to the church. And they were just waiting, and the guy said, you know, this is when it's going to happen. The Lord's going to return on this date. Well, that date came, and... Everybody was still there, which created some suspicion, right? Well, this guy had people wrapped up so so tightly around his finger that he was able to say, well, you know, I, we're going to move the date. This is actually when it is. And uh, there's people who would argue with him. And so he would set up a meeting with them. He'd say, come meet me in my office or room or whatever it was. And they would come meet with him and he would kill them. And he would tell the congregation that the Lord came early for them. And pretty soon, eventually, uh, <laughs> too many people were starting to question this. And so he had a special gathering, lots of, lots of music, but he chained the door shut and he had doused the entire church building in kerosene and ignited it on fire. 
he preached a different gospel, a different message. And he misled a ton of people because of his own selfish ambition. Paul was concerned about this with the Galatian believers. Someone who comes in and teaches a different message than the one that that Paul had preached um, is an enemy of righteousness. Moving on to verse 8. It says, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. I think it's very important, as Paul points out here, he gives a very clear directive. We're not to mess with the authority of God's word. He says, no messenger, no matter how seemingly godly and good, should be believed or followed if his teaching does not line up with God's revealed doctrinal truth. He had warned them before, and he's warning them again. He didn't just leave them and say, you know, like, I'm going to leave out the false teacher thing. But before when he left, he said, be cautious, be careful. And he's doing it again. We need to be cautious and careful. And lastly, false teachers should not be believed or followed, but should be left to God's judgment to be accursed. And I think one of the best ways to silence a false teacher is to basically ignore them. You know, don't listen to them. So in conclusions today, I've kind of got a three-point question for us. The first is this. And this is really the most important question. Is that, have you accepted God's grace gift? The second is, are you living strongly in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? One of the turmoils that is created in life is that we lose sight of the grace of God and what uh, that... He is satisfactory for salvation. And we think that we need to do and earn. And so we kind of go backwards in our thinking. And what happens is when we don't focus on truth, is that things get completely shaken up. And then doubt, anxiety, fear, all that starts to creep in. Because we have now placed salvation's merit on ourselves and we're not trusting what Christ did at the cross. And lastly, again, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God's got a plan and a purpose for you, for us. Are we going to trust him And is he going to do a good work through us? He will if we are faithful. So will you be faithful? Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning. I thank You for Your love for us. I thank You for the grace that You've shown me. Lord, because I know that my sin was definitely against You. And Lord, I know the struggle that I have with sin. But God, I thank You that You love me even in my sinfulness. And that you would go to the cross, that you would shed and take the penalty for my sin upon yourself. Lord, that I could experience the forgiveness and the freedom from that sin. So God, I pray that as we think about really what grace is and how salvation is your free gift, your grace gift to us, Lord. I pray that we would just trust that, Lord, that we would walk in the truth of that that we would be reminded daily of that. And Lord, that we would be cautious. Lord, that you would guard our hearts and minds from people who want to preach and teach a different message than that. I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for uh, your love. And even as we had Valentine's Day yesterday, Uh, Lord, I pray that we would just be a church that displays the love of Christ to this community in the outlying areas. Lord, we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. And again, I thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.